When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Welcome everyone to Long Ball Legacies. My name's Daniel Port here every single week on the Pitchalist Podcast Network, diving into the players throughout baseball history that have helped tell the story of baseball and have shaped this beautiful game that we love so much. Thank you for joining me this week. I wasn't sure really what to talk about this week. A follow-up, first talking about uh Scott Rowland and third baseman that really were affected by Scott Rowland getting in the Hall of Fame. And then jumping into Japanese players and uh, women players throughout history. I, I wasn't quite sure what to talk about this week. So I put out a call for suggestions in last week's episode to see if there was anyone that folks wanted to talk about out there. Or if there was a topic that they thought would be interesting. And Discord member and loyal listener Little Piranha brought up a really interesting milestone that we were rapidly approaching, namely that Kenley Jansen was on the verge of saving his 400th game. And listen, at first, you might be like, a reliever? Really? But I argue that not only is Jansen absolutely a worthy topic, who plays a huge role in telling the story of baseball throughout its history, but I think it brings up a really interesting big-picture idea that is worth further investigation. And that's asking just what is the value of closers and really relievers in general in the game of baseball? And how do we determine what is their place within the history of the game of baseball? Before we get into that larger discussion, though, let's actually take a big picture look at what Kenley Jansen has accomplished throughout his 13 plus year career. His 397 saves is currently 7th all-time, while his 776.2 innings pitched is 107th all-time. Now think about that for a second. He's 25 saves behind Billy Wagner, who across 16 seasons threw almost 130 more innings than Jansen. John Franco has 27 saves in front of Jansen for 5th all-time, and across 21 seasons he threw just under 500 innings more than Jansen. Now... I understand the eras are different and closes are used differently now and things like that. But Jansen has racked up an incredible amount of saves in a very short amount of time, which is a testament to his health and to his consistency across over a decade of pitching in baseball. It's very impressive. Jansen's career 2.31 ERA is ninth all-time amongst relievers, but three of those relievers ahead of him, namely Emmanuel Classe, Johan Duran, and Devin Williams, have thrown a combined 417 innings as a trio. So we can likely ignore them for the sake of this exercise, if that makes sense. That leaves just five relievers in history with a better career ERA than Jansen. Of those five, only Mariano Rivera and Billy Wagner have thrown more innings than Jansen. 
And those two are the only relievers also to save more games than Jansen as well. So he's in pretty hallowed company already. His 1,118 strikeouts is 11th all-time, and only Rivera, Billy Wagner, Francisco Rodriguez, and Lee Smith have had more saves and more strikeouts than Jansen. Jansen is 6th all-time in whip with an unreal .94 mark for his career. No one ahead of him has thrown more innings in Major League Baseball. In fact, the closest is Koji Uehara with 414 Major League innings, and it should be noted uh, Uehara pitched most of his career in Japan. But the next closest is Josh Hader at 344.1 innings pitched, which is basically half the innings Jansen has thrown. Not one of the rest of the six come even close in strikeouts either, as Jansen is nearly double his closest competitor. That's Hader again on that list with 580 strikeouts, which again is basically half of what Jansen has thrown. And now, not counting the 60-game shortened 2020 season, Jansen saved at least 30 games every year for eight straight years, which is just a remarkable testament to Jansen's consistency over the years and his ability to stay healthy and really never have a true off year. He is a three-time All-Star and was so good in 2017 when he led the league in saves that he finished fourth in the Cy Young voting and finished 15th in the MVP voting as a reliever which usually gets discounted outright when it comes to voting for those awards. So just a very impressive player and a very impressive season. Now, before we get into breaking down Jansen's career year to year and looking at it in the micro viewpoint, let's have that discussion about relievers so we can put his numbers into the proper context. Now, I won't argue that relievers are more valuable than a starter, or not the good ones, anyways. And, like, I get the argument that they don't throw a ton of innings, or that on the surface, the ninth inning isn't really all that more valuable than any other inning in a game. Those are all valid points. But let me make a a counter uh, point here. As baseballs move further and further away from starters throwing double-digit complete games and your 300 innings pitched in a season, it's hard to argue that relievers aren't important. Most games, there is usually, what, three to four innings that are thrown by relievers every, every single game. And that's almost half the game. And they tend to face a much higher percentage of high leverage innings. For instance, just to use an example, let's take a contemporary of Jansen's in starting pitcher Clayton Kershaw, the guy who's currently sitting at number 12 on this here podcast all-time player list. He has thrown 2,162 innings in his career. According to Fangraphs, just 192.1 of those innings, or about 9%, fit their definition of high leverage innings. Jansen, on the other hand, has thrown 250 of his 776.2 innings in high leverage situations. That's 32% of his innings. Mariano Rivera threw 40% of his innings in high leverage situations. So sure, the volume isn't quite in the same terms of overall innings compared to starters. But often the innings they throw are simply more difficult innings than starters. The stakes are higher in those innings, which changes everything from both a uh, a mental standpoint and a strategy and technique standpoint as well. But again, it's not that one carries more value than the other. You need both. You can't have, you can't win a game with a poor starting pitcher and a good bullpen. That's, tough and you have a hard time winning games if you have a good starter and a 
support bullpen. You have to have both. So I don't want to imply that one is better or carries more value than the other. It's just that they ca- what I want to point out is that they carry a different kind of value. They play different roles. And be- both are incredibly necessary to baseball success while contributing to that success in different ways. There's also the fact that bullpens are an essential part of building a winning team, as I just mentioned. If you look at the top 10 bullpens by war last year, all but two of them were playoff teams. In 2021, again, all but two of the top 10 bullpens were playoff teams. Heck, every member of the top six teams in war by bullpens in 2021 won 90 plus games. And you know, what I like to think of it as a bullpen doesn't necessarily raise your ceiling as a team. It's not going to tell you how far into the playoffs you'll go or whether you could be a World Series winning team or anything like that. But it really raises your floor. And if you have an elite bullpen, a top 10 bullpen, you you have greatly raised your chances of making the playoffs, of winning that 90-game uh, floor there. So uh, an elite bullpen really increases how many games you'll win even if it necessarily isn't going to determine whether you're a World Series contender or something like that. Now, when you think about it that way, it's hard to argue a bullpen, and obviously, therefore, relievers don't carry value. You know, there at least appears to be some correlation between having a good bullpen and winning a lot of baseball games. Now, it's worth noting, is it oftentimes more of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? effect sure a bullpen can be great even without having a super elite reliever in it but it does still mean that good teams have to have good relievers you can't have a great bullpen and not have good relievers either now the final point i want to make in favor of relievers this dips more into semantics or hyperbole but if you listen to this podcast we deal with that stuff all the time. It's hyperbole is what we do here. Uh, <laughs> and I think we undervalue relievers sometimes because they're like interior linemen in football or a deep bench player in basketball. When they're doing well half the time, you hardly remember they exist or really recall what their names are so long as they're doing their job. But the moment they falter or the team falters, they are the quick and easy scapegoat. And I think, as I mentioned, that's unfair, but that's a hard job to handle mentally, uh, if we're being honest. And I think being a reliever takes a special little extra piece of mental toughness. It's not quite the same as being a starter, which requires a different mental toughness. And that's more of a question of stamina and resiliency and, and these different things. It's a little different than being a reliever, but I feel like that's the pressure that comes with being a reliever is that they're always usually the quickest to be blamed and then also get the least amount of credit when they're success. It's just, it's worth noting that it takes a, a special type of player, right? And I think it's also worth remembering that relievers always, always have to be on, right? We see starts all the time where the pitcher takes an inning or two to find the zone or he gets into a rhythm or gets locked in after an inning or two. And relievers don't get that option. It's a very different beast. They have to walk in and from pitch one be as if it's pitch 30, right? They have to get locked in immediately because they don't have that same margin for error that a starter does. 
And uh, again, that's not to say one is better than the other or that one is more difficult than the other. It's just to state that they're different. They're different. They're different beasts, so to say. And in a way, and this can sound silly, I think, or maybe not, but I talked a lot about, say, like when you look at third base, I think a lot of people tend to treat third base sometimes as if it's just a mirror image of playing first base. And they're not. They're they're incredibly different positions. You would not consider third base and first base the same position, just played by different players on the field. And I feel the same way actually about starting pitchers and relievers. Being a reliever is not just a shorter version of being a starter. That, in my opinion, it, like they actually are, even though they're all lumped in as pitchers, they're two different positions. And they were because they have different requirements, they have different skill sets. They require different mentalities and, and oftentimes backgrounds. And I think that that's just to reduce it to simply they all throw fastballs, so they all must be the same, is, is not accurate. A shortstop throws the ball overhand at the first base the same way a second baseman does, but they're different positions, right? And I, I tend to think of a relief pitcher as a separate entity from starters. It's its own thing. Really, I think that helps put in perspective the discussion around a reliever, especially when you start talking about the Hall of Fame, right? That I think we have a tendency to, when we want to say, ooh, this, is this reliever a Hall of Fame reliever? We tend to go, they're not as good as the starters. And, and I think that's an unfair sort of bar we're setting for them. Even the, the most prolific reliever in baseball couldn't throw uh, 200 innings it's just, it's in the nature of the position. I think that it's important to keep that in mind that we keep it thought of as a separate position as we talk about this and as we get into looking at the Hall of Fame and then eventually ranking Kelly Jansen at the end of this episode. And then finally, the kind of the last thing that I want to mention, this value doesn't show up in like war or anything like that. But historically, with the best relievers, there's a bit of an intimidation factor that comes with the position, especially with closers. Facing the Yankees in the 90s and the early 2000s, you pretty much had until the end of the eighth inning to take the lead or tie it. Otherwise, game was over. There wasn't a ninth inning because Mariano Rivera was coming in. This was true of Kenley Jansen with the Dodgers. That that was how people felt going up against those teams. And you can't, you can't really quantify what effect that had in opposing teams but it absolutely had an effect and had a big impact that we don't really quantify in statistics like war and stuff like that. Now, one of my favorite things about closers is the best closers had like entrance music, almost some kind of WWE entrance. Kenley Jansen, for instance, in the heart of Southern California, playing in LA, he came out to California Love by Tupac, which is just too perfect. And that just got your blood pumping, got the whole crowd going. It was great. Mariano Rivera came out to Enter Sandman by Metallica. And we all remember how cool it was last year watching Edwin Diaz come out to games to Timmy Trumpet's Narco. Like, it just gets the crowd going. And I can't imagine if you were a hitter and you got to stand there in that, in that one deck circle getting warmed up and suddenly just guitar solos or trumpets or just iconic music starts playing that just gets the whole crowd roaring and everyone's going crazy and this guy comes trotting in from from the bullpen that's got to be an intimidating feeling and closers have that sort of unique it's not just in the music it's not just in the moment 
but in the way they carry themselves and the way they like it does take a different mentality and a different swagger frankly so i, I want to make sure that we think about that that kenley jansen was the kind of closer where you came in and if you didn't have the lead going into the ninth that was it kenley jansen was, was going to close it down that's how consistent he was and that's how frankly intimidating he could be coming into that game it's just its own unique thing in baseball and i love it so much it's just the best but with that context in mind let's actually hear real quick take a quick break and when we come back let's jump into the history and career of kenley jansen it's a really fun story and i'm excited to tell you about it we'll be right back fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss that's why noom has created weight management programs that are made to last Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back. So Kenley Jansen was born in 1987 on the island of Curaçao, a small island just off the coast of Venezuela. And interestingly enough, I didn't know this, is considered a part of the Netherlands. I wasn't sure, trying to read through it, if it, it's like a territory of the Netherlands, but technically it is considered a part of the country of the Netherlands. In fact, you'll see throughout the story, Kenley Jansen would represent the Netherlands in all different forms of international play. So that kind of comes into play there. But he, he was born to parents Isidore and Bernadette Jansen. Jansen is actually, interestingly enough, not the only MLB player to hail from Curacao, as the island territory was also home to Andrew Jones, Ozzy Albies, Jerkson Profar, Andrelton Simmons, and John Scope, and, and many more. And as the story goes... Jansen started playing baseball along with his two brothers at the age of six, playing in uh, initially the outfield, but also he, he moved around. He played shortstop, he played third base, and finally in high school, he got moved to catcher. And the story goes that Jansen grew up a Braves fan because TBS broadcast all of the Atlantic games, and the station, the, the TBS made it all the way out to Curacao. Then also probably having Andrew Jones being from there and being drafted by Atlanta definitely helped. But he grew up an Atlanta fan. And not a ton has been published about Jensen's childhood that I could find, really. And his early playing career, like I said, there was not a lot of information about it. But in 2004, he was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers as, of all things, a catcher. We know him as a pitcher. We know him as a reliever uh, and as a devastating one. But originally, he was drafted as a catcher. He actually ends up playing rookie ball with the Gulf Coast Dodgers and played pretty darn all the way up through 2009. He was in A-ball and just made the Midwest League All-Star team. And this 2009 season really marks a turning point in Jansen's career. 
he had been a decent catcher. He was a good defensive catcher. But the problem was he couldn't hit, right? He, I think he did something like 200, 220 or something like that at this point in his career as a minor leaguer in, in A-ball. And catchers are slow to develop as hitters anyways because they spend so much time working on catching. But still, the bat really hadn't come around yet. And going into the 2009 season, Jansen had just come off shining in that year's World Baseball Classic. He was the starting catcher for the Netherlands. And it was a big year for the Netherlands in that World Baseball Classic. They had a bunch of memorable moments. They upset the Dominican Republic team twice in the first round, which was uh, easily one of the favorites. They were stacked. So it was this huge underdog upset. And they did it twice. And here's the thing. By all accounts as a catcher, Jansen had an absolute cannon for an arm. If you go and search this, they're out there. One of his highlight plays in this World Baseball Classic was saving one of the games for the Netherlands against the Dominican Republic by throwing out speedster Willie Tavares at third in the bottom of the ninth. And it's a great throw. Like I said, Google it or YouTube it. It's out there. It's a great throw. In the second round against the U.S., he even threw out Ryan Braun at second base from his knees. Just never even gets up. Just never does a pop-up, nothing. Just from his knees, guns out Ryan Braun. It's a heck of a throw. That video also exists. It's really surreal to see Kenley Jansen behind the dish as opposed to throwing to it. Um, but but he had an absolute cannon for an arm. And there was little doubt that his arm would translate as a catcher. But again, like we mentioned, he couldn't hit. And there comes a point where the Dodgers, were, I don't know if this is going to come around. And slowly and surely, they convince him that his future ticket to the majors was on the other side of the battery at the mound itself. Kenley resisted at first. He felt like his future really was as a catcher. And at some point, the Dodgers kind of basically had to be like, listen, you've got a choice. We're about ready to give up on this catching experiment. So you become a pitcher or not, right? And eventually Kenley does come to see the light, so to say. And under the pitching of uh, under the tutelage of pitching coach Charlie Howe, he made the jump fully to pitching. And this is to me a truly wild what if. We have seen throughout history uh, players not respond to coaching advice or to making big changes. I've said this a thousand times before. I think the hardest thing a professional athlete has to do is take what has gotten them to where they've gotten to so far in their careers, which is the highest level of baseball to play professionally, right? Wherever you're playing. And to take the thing that got them there and say, this isn't good enough. This isn't enough. And have someone, or in this this case, have someone tell you that what got you there isn't good enough. And then we've seen throughout history, players not listen or not be able to adjust and change. And, And then they wash out or fail. And it takes a special athlete, I think, to be open to listen, to to take that in and process it and then make a change. And that's what Jansen does. I, like I said, I believe Jansen is probably a top five reliever of all time at worst. And it almost never happened because it required Jansen to to trust the Dodgers 
and to come around to their line of thinking. Jansen is closing in to give you an idea on Lee Smith's 478 saves. And Smith is a Hall of Famer, right? So Jansen has a great shot at making the Hall as a reliever. And it never would have happened if the Dodgers hadn't seen that arm and said, well, we can't make a catcher out of this guy, but we can make a pitcher out of him, I think. And if Jansen hadn't been willing to bet on himself and and the Dodgers coaches to help him make that change. Obviously, looking back on it in retrospect, it seems like an easy call, right? But if you're Jansen, I, I have to imagine it really felt like a leap of faith on his part. And, I mean, let's be honest, it was. So, by the middle of the 2009 season, Jansen had been converted full-time to pitching. Uh, right away, Ho was, how I believe is how you say his name, was sold that Jansen had a big future as a pitcher. He was I mean, absolutely breaking radar guns left and right. Now, his numbers didn't look great that year. Just 11.2 innings pitched with a 4.63 ERA, but he did strike out 19 hitters <laughs> in 11 innings while also walking 11 hitters. It wasn't great. But it sounds like the skill set was apparent. And it was enough to convince the Dodgers that there was something there. And so in the offseason, they go from basically being like, we're on the precipice of letting it go, to adding him to the 40-man roster. And this is while he was in like A-ball. It gets everyone's attention. Baseball America ends up ranking him as the Dodgers' number 14 prospect that offseason. And rumors were that in the Arizona Fall League, he was hitting 98 miles per hour on the radar gun already. And this was, by the way, not on a four-seam fastball, but on a cut fastball. And this cut fastball would eventually become his trademark pitch. This is the pitch Kenley Jansen is known for, for having basically a unicorn-level cut fastball. And Baseball America also felt at the time that he had the makings of a pretty solid slider, even though he would... For most of his career, hardly throw it just because he didn't really need to. But Jansen starts the 2010 season at high A ball. And he's quickly bumped up to the double A where he dominates, throwing 45 innings pitched while striking out 78 hitters, including having a 45% K rate at double A. That's wild. That is absurd. He almost struck out half the batters he faced is essentially what that means. Now, at this point, the Dodgers had seen all they needed to see. And on July 24th against the Mets, they gave him the call to make his major league debut at the age of 22. Jansen strikes out the first two hitters he sees, including David Wright as one of them. And then he gets Carlos Beltran to ground out to complete his first inning as a pro. And just like that, Kenley Jansen's career was off to the races. He uh, he pitches a the following day and he throws another scoreless innings while striking out two more hitters. And that would actually be where he earns his first of what would be nearly 400 saves in his career so far. He would continue to set the league on fire over the rest of the season, throwing 27 innings across 25 appearances, striking out 41 hitters while putting up a 0.67 ERA and a one whip while saving four games. He had given up just two earned runs the entire season over 27 innings. Just two. Two earned runs. That's crazy. In less than a year, Jansen had gone from a potential washout catcher to one of the most dominant relief pitchers in the league. And again, he was just 22 years old. And he was in the Dodgers bullpen to stay. He started the 2011 season 
with the big league club. And while he wasn't yet the closer, as the aging Jonathan Broxton still held that position, it was clear that Broxton was just keeping the spot warm for Jansen, who has a fantastic full rookie season. He throws uh, 53.2 innings with 96 strikeouts to go along with a 2.85 ERA and a 1.04 whip with a 2-1 and record and 5 saves. At the time, his 16.1 K per 9 that season was an MLB record, and to this day, it's the seventh highest single season K per 9 ever for a reliever or starter. His 44% K rate that season is the 13th highest single season mark ever, and he finished seventh in the Rookie of the Year voting and confirmed that he was here to stay and he wasn't a, a one year small sample size wonder. Now, this carries over into the 2012 season. The closer role was originally given to Javi Guerra, but after he struggled to begin the season, Jansen took over the role in May and would hold it down for the next 10 years, basically. Jansen rises to the occasion and proves he should have been given the role all along by saving 25 games across 65 innings with 99 strikeouts to go along with a 2.35 ERA and a 0.86 whip, which for the record is the 7th best whip for a pitcher throwing more than 50 innings pitched of all time. Now, one dark spot of the season for Jansen, though, was when he missed time at the end of the season due to some heart-related issues. I believe the technical diagnosis was an atrial fibrillation. Trouble saying fibrillation. I, uh, <laughs> so I apologize. Which the Mayo Clinic defines as an irregular and often very rapid heart rhythm or arrhythmia that can lead to blood clots in the heart and increase the risk of stroke, heart failure, and other heart-related complications. These issues would resurface and plague him his entire career, and a couple times threatened to cut his career short over the years. Now, perhaps because of the heart issues, Jansen starts the 2013 season as the setup man for the Dodgers and gets off to a, a bit of a slow start workload-wise. Brandon League had filled in the year before for Jansen, and he opened the season with the job, but struggles. And so once again, Jansen takes over the role again pretty quickly, and once again, he is absolutely dominant. He makes 75 appearances, throwing 76.2 innings with 111 strikeouts and just 18 walks. He saved 28 games to go along with a 1.88 ERA and a .86 whip. He was second that year amongst NL relievers in war and fourth in the entire Major League Baseball amongst relievers that year. Ten relievers threw more innings than he did that year. None of them saved more than four games or had a sub 2.5 ERA or even top 90 strikeouts. He was easily the most dominant reliever in baseball that year, and it wasn't even close. Not only did he dominate the regular season, but the Dodgers went to the playoffs for the first time in his career. He pitches well in the NLDS against Atlanta, throwing 2.1 innings across three games, recording a save and striking out seven uh, and allowing just one hit and one walk and no runs as the Dodgers went on to win the, the series. They faced the Cardinals in the NLCS, and he records another save in the series, but did allow two runs in two innings pitched across three games as the Dodgers would fall short in the series. In 2014, Jansen is given the full-time closer role without any challengers, and he shows he deserved it, saving 44 games across 68 appearances with 65.1 innings pitched, 101 strikeouts, a 2.76 ERA, and a 1.13 whip. He was fifth in the league in saves, finishing just four saves behind league leader Fernando Rodney. 
He was just the fourth Dodger to record 40-plus saves in a season, and the Dodgers would again make the playoffs, facing the Cardinals once again in the NLDS. Jansen would record another scoreless save with two strikeouts in his only appearance in the se- in the series, as unfortunately the Dodgers would again fall to St. Louis, bringing their season to an end. Now, 2015 would bring the first non-heart-related hiccup into Jansen's career injury-wise, as he would have surgery in the offseason to remove a growth from a bone in his foot, which would keep him out of action at the start of the season until around May 15th. Once he came off the injured list, he made up for lost time. He goes his first 14 appearances without issuing a single walk with 23 strikeouts, which set several Dodger records, and ended up striking out 27 hitters before he walked his first hitter, which was eight shy of the major league record. Overall in the season, Jansen appeared in 54 games, throwing 52.1 innings with 80 strikeouts, 36 saves, a 2.41 ERA, and a 0.78 whip. Despite the mistime, he finished tied for 8th in the league in saves. The Dodgers earned another trip to the NLDS, and while this time they would lose to the Mets... Jansen is fantastic, is saving two games in three appearances, throwing 3.1 scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Jumping over to 2016, this year saw Jansen reach a whole nother level as he would save 47 games across 71 appearances and 68.2 innings pitched with 104 strikeouts, a 1.83 ERA, and a .67 whip. A .67 whip. He finished tied with Zach Britton and Mark Melanson for second in Major League Baseball in saves behind Juris Familia's 51 saves. And while Britton easily had the best season of any reliever that year with an absurd .54 ERA, this is a genuinely incredible season from Jansen. And if not for Britton, he, he outpaced Familia enough in terms of ERA and strikeouts to argue he had the best relief season in the National League. And again, if not for Britain, probably in the whole league. And in fact, he did indeed win the Trevor Hoffman National League Reliever of the Year Award that year and was named to his first All-Star game. It was during this season as well that he set the all-time Dodger mark for saves and strikeouts by a reliever. For the third consecutive season, the Dodgers make the NLDS facing the Nationals, and finally break uh, through winning the series there. Jansen pitches in four games in the series, racking up another two saves and striking out nine hitters. He does get roughed up in one game, but otherwise, he pitches well in the series. They go on to face eventual World Series champs because of a stupid rainout. Yes, I'm a Guardians fan, and I'm still bitter about it, but the Chicago Cubs in the NLCS. And while the Dodgers would lose the series, Jansen is fantastic in the series, throwing 6.1 scoreless innings in three games with another save and 10 strikeouts while allowing just one base runner in 20 batters faced. If you thought, so just an incredible season from Jansen. And if you thought that 2016 was going to be his peak year, 2017 uh, said, hold my beer, as that would prove to be one of the finest, if not the finest season of Jansen's career. He goes a perfect 5-0 and with an MLB-leading 41 saves across 68.1 innings pitched to go along with 109 strikeouts, a flabbergastingly good 1.32 ERA, and a 0.75 whip. He literally allowed just 10 earned runs on the entire year, which is just astonishingly good. Perhaps, honestly, even more incredibly, Jansen blew just one save on the entire season. Just one game. He showed up and was not... Uh, good enough to get the job done just once 
it, it's astonishing. It is mind-blowing. He was so good that year that, again, I mentioned this earlier, but as a reliever, he finishes fifth in the Cy Young voting and finishes 15th in the MVP voting. That's how good he was that year while going to his second consecutive All-Star game and winning the Trevor Hoffman Award again for the second year in a row. Again, the Dodgers make the playoffs, and Jansen racks up three saves across 3.2 innings with four strikeouts in the NLDSs. L.A. sweeps the Diamondbacks. In the NLCS, Jansen is perfect, throwing 4.1 scoreless innings in the series, and in the save and eight strikeouts as the Dodgers beat the Cubs to make it the Jansen's first World Series appearance. Now, facing Houston in the World Series, for the most part, he is great, appearing in six of seven games, throwing 8.2 innings with eight strikeouts and two saves. Unfortunately, he also faces the very first blown save of his postseason career in Game 2, while also taking a loss in Game 5 as L.A. loses to Houston in seven games. Now, his blown save would end his streak of 12 consecutive converted postseason saves, which I believe to this day is still a Major League Baseball record. Years later, this World Series loss would become the center of a major controversy. When it was revealed, I believe in 2020, 20, late 2019, by writers Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich of The Athletic, that the Astros had been illegally using cameras to steal signs throughout the 2017 season when at home in Minute Maid Park. And the signs, there's a lot of debate over all this, and I'm sure I'll have some Astro fans in my mentions over this, but you see the numbers, and the Ast- you're always better at home than you are away, right? That, that's a given. But the Astros were astronomically better at home than on the road in that postseason, hitting for a 1.541 OPS at home and a 49, uh, 0.497 OPS on the road. So a, a difference of 1.1 in terms of OPS is astronomical. It just feels they, they were definitely getting some kind of help. And... It is worth noting that this doesn't absolve Jansen of his blown save in Game 2, which occurred in L.A., but it does paint his Game 5 loss in a new light as that did occur in Houston. And who knows how the series might have gone. If he blows a a save in Game 2, but they win the series, no one remembers it. Who knows what might have happened had the Astros not been cheating that season. But I'm honestly willing to put an asterisk next to some of those numbers that you would count against Jansen in this series. Now, either way, the Dodgers do not win the World Series, and they enter the 2018 season more determined than ever to return to the championship and avenge their loss. Now, for his part, Jansen was clearly feeling the deep workload from the year before. He was fighting off a couple injuries in spring training, and he gets off to a rough start in April, but quickly turns things around and pitches well enough to make his third straight All-Star game. Now, he's rolling, he's doing great, and in August, though, Jansen faces one of the toughest challenges of his career, as his heart issues resurface during a series in Colorado, forcing him on the injured list for just the second time in his career, and this is mostly triggered by the altitude, which can have a, it would put a strain on heart issues arrhythmia, and... I remember when this happened because there were so many questions on if he would pitch again. We haven't really seen pitchers deal with something like this, uh, especially when it comes to something like elevation. And at the very least, there were questions as to whether or not 
Jansen would ever be able to pitch in Coors ever again. And, and spoiler, he would. He he would be able to pitch in Coors again. And obviously this would not end his career. But I remember it was a genuine question at the time that we all were concerned that could this be it for Kenley Jansen? Almost confirmed that adding to those worries. After returning, he would struggle in the second half. He threw an uncharacteristic 4.26 ERA in the second half. And I think about 25 innings or so. Overall, on the season, Jansen put up a 3.01 ERA across 71.2 innings pitched with 82 strikeouts and a .991 whip and 38 saves on the year. Now, despite the second half struggles from Jansen, the Dodgers do make another deep run into the playoffs. In the NLDS against the Cubs, Jansen throws two innings and picks up a save across two appearances. In the NLCS, he's perfect across 4.2 innings pitched picking up another two saves with seven strikeouts, helping the Dodgers return to the World Series. Now, in the World Series, though, Jansen runs out of gas against the Red Sox as he struggles on the biggest stage, blowing two saves in three appearances and failing to record a save in a, pro, in a postseason series for the first time in his career. Now, think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Jansen had made at least one appearance in 11 playoff series to this point in his career and had recorded at least one save in all of them. Unfortunately, that was not the case here, and Jansen would struggle, and the Dodgers would uh, struggle as well, losing the World Series and finding themselves still searching for their true championship run. Now, in the offseason, Jansen would undergo heart surgery to fix the heart issue, which allow him to now pitch in all situations without fear, regardless of altitude or conditions or anything like that. He ends up making radical changes to his diet. He loses about 25 pounds as a part of his plans to keep his heart healthy. And we'll see as we go through his career, there there may be some evidence that, that losing that weight and keeping it off may have cost him some velocity and some oomph. But obviously, I love Kenley Jansen, the baseball player. I care more about Kenley Jansen, the, the human, and I'd rather him be healthy. So I'm okay with that. Obviously, not that he needs my approval. But losing the 25 pounds probably extended Kenley Jansen's life, but it may end up having an impact on his baseball careers. We'll see here. So looking at it, perhaps between his recovery, obviously coming off of heart surgery, probably did not have the same kind of off-season routine. He had a reoccurring hamstring injury he was dealing with. And then as we mentioned, losing that weight, Jansen's cutter velocity plummets and goes from 95 to 98. We're used to dropping all the way down to the lower 90s. And the results were clear. He ends up, hitters end up putting a 96 WRC plus against the pitch, which is almost double what it was the year before. And this is a pitch he throws roughly around 90% of the time at around then. So that's a little troublesome, right? That, that's not what we expected from Kenley Jensen at the time. So it was concerning. And for some people felt like confirmation that the heart was going to essentially derail Jensen's career. Now, he, he still managed to save 33 games, but struggled. Uh, he had a career-worst 3.73 ERA across 63 innings pitched and a 1.063 whip with 80 strikeouts. Now, the Dodgers would make the NLDS that year, but would fall to Washington. Jansen would make two scoreless appearances, but would not record a save in the series, as I believe there wasn't really a save opportunity in the series. Now, 2020 was tough on everybody. Uh, Thanks to, COVID, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, thanks to the shutdown, and obviously in baseball, thanks to the shortened season itself. But Jansen in particular got off to a rough start that year as he 
he, he caught COVID. He battled uh, COVID and its after effects early on in the season. And we haven't talked a lot about this, but we know now about long COVID and we know a lot about its effects on players and on, on people in general. I got COVID because of work. If you know what I do for a career, I, I do concert lighting. And that means I sit in the middle of a crowd of 1,900 to 2,000 people every single night. And so it was an inevitability in my life that I was going to catch COVID once the shutdown ended. And I still feel some of its effects physically. That was a, probably a year and a half ago. It's not surprising that considering Jansen caught COVID pretty early in the year that he would struggle in the beginning of the year. So he gets off to a slow start and... Despite that, though, Jensen ends up having a solid year. He saves 11 games in the 60-game season, which, if you think about it, is a pretty impressive number for that short time period, but or at least as close to his normal pace. He led the league in games finished across 24.1 innings pitched with 33 strikeouts and a 3.33 ERA and a 1.15 whip. Now, he hadn't rediscovered his cutter velocity, which is, you know, concerning, but he started adjusting as you would expect a veteran pitcher to do so he starts leaning on his slider more and was able to make up for the lost velocity for the most part by combining those two pitches if you the, the cutter slider combo is is making a big comeback right now in baseball but jansen really utilized this and that there was a lot of deception in his cutter and his uh, slider and so it's hard to tell which one was which until it was too late and so he starts throwing the slider a lot more and this helps. Again, he has a great season. The Dodgers are playoff bound in 2020. But little they know, actually, this time it would be a season of destiny for them. So first, Jansen records the save in the NL wildcard game against Milwaukee. Then he has a rough division series against the Padres, giving up two runs in just 1.2 innings pitched. And while he doesn't record a save in the series, he doesn't blow any either. The Dodgers win the series handedly, and there just wasn't really save opportunities in the series. Now, moving on to the championship series in the NLCS, he does pick up a save and pitches three perfect innings over three games, helping the Dodgers uh, return to their world, uh, their third World Series in four years, which is just one heck of a run and impressive for Jensen to have been a part of that. And this time, they would prevail in the World Series. Now, while the Dodgers would prevail over the Rays in six games, Jansen would unfortunately set a World Series record by blowing another save in Game 4. Now, the caveat to that is, again, they went to three World Series in four years. Kind of setting that record is more of a testament to how often Jansen got to the World Series than it is knock on his talent or skill. So uh, it's more of a quantity thing because he was just in the World Series so often over that time period. Obviously, you never want to blow saves, but... Everyone does. It's just it's a lot. You go to the World Series a lot, you're going to have more chances to blow saves. It is a knock on, on his performance in the World Series. It's, it's worth taking that into consideration as well. Now, the Dodgers now have won that elusive World Series. But they've been striving for so long. We t- I talked about this in the Clayton Kershaw episode, which was my our very first episode that I did with Noah Scott. And we talked about how validating that had to be for Clayton Kershaw and that we were so happy it happened because it seemed to really haunt Kershaw that 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 he had in his eye failed in the postseason and this brought a lot of validation to Jansen as well 
But while Jensen gets to enter into the halls of Dodger lore, all that stuff, he wasn't actually on the mound when the final game was clinched. Actually, Dave Roberts felt he wasn't the right guy for the job at the time and had chosen instead to go with starter Julio Urias over the final 2.5 innings of the game. Now, Roberts loved doing this in the playoffs. I always think it's screwy. He loved uh, taking a starter who was rested and being like, I'm just going to throw him in at the end of a game as if just you can just do that. And it was, it was a bit perplexing at the time. And just because it worked doesn't mean it was the right call. But obviously, Urias is a great pitcher, so what do I know? But uh, this weighed on Jansen. Kind of really take a look in the mirror and say, what what am I if I'm not the guy that they go to when everything's on the line? That's supposed to be his job. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. Jansen has said in interviews that that's agreed with them at the time and felt that, that a lot of times that can derail a career or ruin your confidence. Instead, it just it motivated Jansen to work harder and to re-figure out his career and reinvent himself a little bit. So now, riding high on the World Series win, Jansen is fantastic in 2021. He tallies 38 saves across 69 innings pitched with 86 strikeouts, a 2.22 ERA, and a 1.04 whip. During the season, Jansen recorded his 1,000th strikeout, becoming just the 12th reliever to do. And with the velocity of his cutter still down, Jansen continues to increase his slider usage, and it pays off big time, as you just heard the numbers. The Dodgers make the playoffs, and Jansen finishes off the wild card game against St. Louis, striking out the side in the ninth and getting the win in that game. He makes two appearances in the division series against the Giants. But he doesn't record any saves. He also doesn't give up any runs and records his second win of that playoff run. The Dodgers would eventually lose to Atlanta in the NLCS. Jansen is great in that series as well, recording a save across four scoreless innings while striking out six hitters. So we see this reinvigorated and reinvented Jansen, and there's a lot of excitement coming out of this this series, but there's also some some concern, primarily that for the first time really in his career, Jansen was a free agent. And so we're in the offseason of 2022, and... Something that really, honestly, uh, from the Dodgers fans I know, something happened that they really never thought possible. Uh, Trying to stay below the luxury tax threshold, the Dodgers really felt they only had room for one major expenditure. And instead of re-signing Kenley Jansen, they chose to sign first baseman Freddie Freeman. And I get that decision, but uh, it felt like a gut punch to a lot of the Dodgers fans I know. And so for the first time in his career, Jansen was going to be pitching in a different uniform than Dodger Blue. And this doesn't really deter Jansen. So Jansen had admitted, like I said, that he thought he had slipped a bit himself. And so he said that he didn't really hold too many ill will or bad feelings about the situation. But he rededicates himself to finding his prior form. And he ends up realizing a childhood dream by signing a one-year deal at the age of 34 with, with Atlanta. And that's the team he grew up worshiping as a child. So this was a huge dream come true for Jansen. And he's great that year for Atlanta as he leads the all uh, leads both leagues in saves with 41. And he actually leads the leagues in games finished with 54. Overall, he throws 64 innings pitched with 85 strikeouts and a 3.38 ERA with a 1.05 whip. And Jansen credits his research in 2021 and 2022 to embracing therapy and meditation and revamping his diet and his workouts. 
He especially credits the, the therapy with equipping him with the emotional maturity to handle the adversity that comes with getting older and making adjustments as a pitcher in baseball. To quote him, I feel like I'm a better player than even the years when I was so terrific with the Dodgers, Jansen said. I feel like 2021 and 2022, I feel like a better version of myself from my younger days because I'm more equipped. I'm more mature now. I went through stuff. I faced adversity. And when you face adversity, you have to know how to deal with it. I dealt with it and I overcame it. And those are powerful words coming from Jansen. And it's funny because I think looking at it now where he's still going strong, you have to wonder how much he's drawing from that and from and how well as his skills obviously start to diminish as he ages, how much that actual emotional maturity is going to equip him to continue to keep succeeding for quite a while now. And like I said, not being on the mound for the final out of the 2020 World Series really hit him hard. And that kind of pushed him to make a change. And therapy really helped him get past that and use it as motivation and understand it as opposed to letting it tear him down. Now, Atlanta does make the playoffs that year, but loses to the sort of Cinderella story Phillies in the NLDS. Jansen does record a save in Game 2, but also gives up a run in a blowout loss in Game 4. So it didn't necessarily matter. In the offseason, once again a free agent, but determined to prove that he's still among the elite closers in the league, Jansen signs a two-year contract with the Boston Red Sox. Now, so far in 2023 for the Bo Sox, he's honestly been fantastic for a closer of any age, really, let alone a 34-year-old with 14 years under his belt. He's already appeared in eight games with six saves across 7.2 innings pitched and has yet to give up a run while striking out 11 hitters. It remains to be seen how the rest of the offseason will play out, but it appears that Kenley Jansen isn't done yet, not by a long shot. And that's a good thing for baseball and a great thing for Kenley Jansen's legacy. That's the career of Kenley Jansen. It's 14 years of being a generational talent at the closer position with a consistency and excellence really no other closer comes close to matching. It's basically he and Craig Kimbrell over that time period, and that's it. And there's an argument that Jansen has maintained his excellence longer than Kimbrell has. You can't argue that it wasn't an excellent career both in the regular season and the postseason. He's a Dodger icon and should go down as one of the greatest closers, not just of his generation, but of all time. And even with that, though, questions do remain. Namely, is Kelly Jansen a Hall of Famer? And where does he end up ranking on our list? And before we dive into those questions, though, I want to take our final break here real quick, and then we'll tackle those questions. Welcome back. As I mentioned, the question is, is Kelly Jansen a Hall of Fame caliber player? Now, I'm a large Hall guy. And I look at the reliever position as a separate entity. And so therefore, I like to evaluate players' Hall of Fame candidacy based on their position and their peers rather than looking at it in a big picture opportunity. You look at third baseman and say their offensive requirements differently than you do first baseman or second baseman or things like that. And I do the same thing here for relievers that I'm going to compare when I consider if Jansen is a Hall of Famer, where does he compare to his peers as other relief pitchers, as other closers, right? I'm not going to compare them to starters or anything like that. It's my take, and this is a big thing I've mentioned before too, that if you are the best of a position of your generation, you're a Hall of Famer. That's usually like my number one criteria. If I look at you and say, I think we talked about this with, with Roland and Arenado, that like, if you're considered the best of your position, of your generation, this is an automatic induction. Done and done, right? And if you look at it, while 
Kimbrell is tied with Jansen at 397 saves as the most saves since 2010. Dude, by the way, just in case you're curious, second place is Araldus Chapman at 316, 81 saves less than Kimbrell and Jansen. After that, Mark Melanson is 262. That's how much better Jansen was than the rest of the closes of his era outside of Kimbrell. And when you then look at Kimbrell, while Kimbrell's overall numbers are practically identical to Jansen's, his ERA since 2016 has been 3.05 with a 1.05 whip and includes seasons with ERAs over four, including one over five and one over six. So I give the edge to 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 Jansen because over that same period, Jansen had an ERA of 2.56 with a 0.93 whip and has never had a season with an ERA over four in his entire career. So I give the, the edge to Jansen easily, all things considered. Now, one thing that's also worth considering, it's highly likely by the time his current contract with the Red Sox ends, he'll surpass at least Billy Wagner, John Franco, and K-Rod on the all-time saves list to move into fourth all-time. If you can manage another like 30-plus saves after that, he's got a really great shot at surpassing Lee Smith at 478 saves to move into third all-time. Now, Lee Smith is in the Hall of Fame already as a closer. So if Jansen can get there, I think he's a shoe-in, right? You, you, you can't make the argument that this guy got in the Hall of Fame with that many saves and you surpass that guy with just as good of career numbers everywhere else. How does he not become a Hall of Famer? So I, I think that's a kind of pretty open and shut case. If he can get past Smith at 478 saves, which again, he's at 397, so... He just needs to get 80 more saves over his career, which is two to three seasons uh, of being a great closer still, which I think he's got in him. He's pitching great this year. He looks healthy. He looks good. Um, he's only like 35. He's got plenty of time still to rack up those 80 saves. So I think it's a pretty open and shut case from my perspective. And that's before you even factor in that he's an icon for one of the most popular and storied franchises in the league. For me, this is a pretty easy yes. Kenley Jansen's a Hall of Famer, no question. So now, with that question answered, we ask maybe our most important question, if I do say so myself, which is where do we rank Jansen on, on, our, on our list of baseball's all, all-time greats? Now, let's, before we dive into the specific answer, let's actually revisit the list real quick, just to get a refresher. So to look at the top 15, Number one is Sadaharu O. Number two is Satchel Page. Number three is Josh Gibson. Number four is Mickey Mantle. Number five is Greg Maddox. Number six is Mike Trout. Number seven is Ichiro Suzuki. Number eight is George Brett. Number nine is Adrian Beltre. Number 10 is Shohei Otani. Number 11 is Clayton Kershaw. Number 12 is Edgar Martinez. Number 13 is Sandy Koufax. Number 14 is Tony Gwynn. Number 15 is Hank Greenberg. Jumping down to number 20 is Kenny Lofton. Number 25 is David Ortiz. Number 30 is Jose Ramirez. Number 35 is Freddie Freeman. Number 40 is Jim Cat. Number 45 is Jorge Posada. Number 50 is Matt Williams. Number 55 is Cabrian Hayes. Number 60 is Aramis Ramirez. And number 65 is James Paxton. So that's our list so far that we have accumulated throughout this podcast. If you want to see the full list, there is a link to it in the description of the podcast. Just click on that and it'll take you to the to the, the Google Doc that has the whole list on it right there for you. And it's interesting to ask where we see 
Jansen going, right? Because we don't have a lot of the usual tools that we use to make this determination, like war, for instance. It's really not that useful for relievers because they don't really accumulate that much war. And I think when talking about relievers, war paints an inaccurate portrait of their value. So we're just going to have to metaphorically feel around in the dark here and see if we can't find our way into the light, so to say. I, I certainly think we can put Jansen in the top 50. That will put him right above Matt Williams. Williams hit 378 home runs in his career and put up 46.6 war. I, I think Jansen's level of excellence and generational talent and historic rankings amongst other closers puts him higher than that. Now, I think you can apply that same line of logic to Jorge Posada at number 45 and Sean Green at number 44, especially when you consider then adding in Kelly Jansen's postseason excellence. Now, did I mention, by the way, when talking about Jansen in the postseason, that he had a career 2.20 ERA across 65.1 postseason innings, and his 20 postseason saves is second only to Mariano Rivera. So you're talking about one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. And there's an argument that, by the way, in the postseason, relievers matter as much as starters in a lot of ways. It gets amplified because it's such a small sample, right? But uh, I'd put him above Evan Longoria at number 43, and Kyle Hendricks at 42, and probably even Jamie Moyer at 41. Again, if nothing else, just for the generational excellence of Jansen's ability and his iconic status. But then what, where things really get interesting is to look at, I, I, again, I think for the same reason I put him above Jim Cat, who's basically Jamie Moyer uh, 1.0, where it's more of an accumulation over an entire career. Like I said, I think I wouldn't call Jim Cat, while well, Jim Cat's a Hall of Famer and a great pitcher, I wouldn't say he's a, a generational talent, if that makes sense. The same way that I would say Kenley Jansen was. So I, I put him above Jim Cat there at, at 40. And so then we get to uh, number 38 and 39, Corey Kluber and Dizzy Dean. And this is where I find to be an interesting spot. Would he go above, let's start with Corey Kluber. And I think Kluber's spot is safe. He's a two-time Cy Young Award winner that was, frankly, if you go back and listen to the Corey Kluber podcast I did, robbed of at least one more award. He's a team ace for almost seven years and one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball for that time period. And Jensen might be a little more historic and iconic. I, I think that's probably where I draw the reliever starter value line is once you get the two Cy Youngs. And after Kluber 2, really, it would be hard to move too much further past Kluber even if we did. Because then we start getting like 500 home run hitters. And I, I think they'll, they'll that would be the right stopping point. So I think he goes behind Kluber. So really, the only question left is, does Kenley Jansen go before or after Dizzy Dean? Kluber was practically a clone of Dizzy Dean, and Dizzy Dean did win an MVP award, but I am going to ding him, I think, for pitching pre-integration quite a bit. That's always been a, a consistent thing that I've knocked players for, is for pitching pre-integration, basically facing only half of the North American Major, Major League Baseball talent, I think is something that you should get dinged for, even if it isn't your fault or is or whatever. And then I also ding him for having a pretty short career at just 12 years. His peak was not, you know, that long either. So given those things, I think Jansen has close to, if not more, strikeouts already than Dizzy Dean uh, did in his career. And Dean was a starter. <laughs> I think it makes sense that Jansen nestles nicely right between Corey Kluber and Dizzy Dean. Which you make him the new number 39 on the list. Now, I might decide by the end of, you know, this dive we're going to do here on closers, because we'll continue the theme over the next couple episodes. I might decide by the end of that, that 
over the next few weeks. I'm being a little too conservative. I'm not fairly ranking a relievers. But for now, this feels like the perfect spot for him. And if I feel that way, we might revisit. But for right now, I think number 39 on the list is a great spot for Kenley Jansen. And so that's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate uh, you coming in and listening. I hope you found this uh, interesting. I thought you, I hope that you find discussing relievers and their place in baseball to be an interesting conversation. And I hope maybe if you previously didn't think much of relievers that I've been able to change your mind a little bit here and turn you around on the matter. Thank you again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. I think next week we will do, if we're going to talk closers, we got to talk the greatest closer of all time. And that's Mariano Rivera. So I think that's what we'll do next week. So tune in for that one. That one should be a pretty fun one too. And until then though, enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Thank you again so much for listening and we shall talk to you then. You can reach the podcast at Daniel J. Port if you want to reach out to me on Twitter or you can reach the podcast at LB Legacies over there on Twitter as well. Or you can send us an email at longballlegacies at gmail.com. Thank you so much, folks. And again, have a great one. Enjoy your weekend.